Last Sunday, of course, was Pentecost Sunday, and it was a general call for all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. I want to focus on that theme, but in a really a restricted sense, in Pentecost in relation to children. Because the text I'm going to be preaching from is in Acts 2.39. The promises to you and to your children and to those afar off who are called. I'm going to come back to that text. Uh, we'll examine the significance of it and take a look at how God sees children. And uh, not only because of their worth as his creation, but uh, the role that children have in the redemptive plan of God. And uh, I'm going to take you to a couple of places in the Old Testament. Um, The first is a a passage from Psalm 127, and then we're going to go to Numbers chapter 14. So how do we tie all this in? Well, we're going to attempt to do that. Um, It's so important to have children's ministry. On Wednesday night is probably one of the best discipling uh, nights that we have or or occasions we have outside of, of our Bible study in Sunday school. But we have from nursery right on up through youth and in here adults, doing Bible study and uh, Royal Rangers, Impact Girls. This morning, High Voltage is out there. And uh, what, what our purpose for High Voltage is this. Because when I grew up in church, um, you only went out of the church as a kid to uh, have a come-to-Jesus meeting. You know, so you didn't want to walk out of the church during service because that was not good. But, you know, I have mixed feelings about this, and I know this is, you know, part of children's ministry. I just wish we had more settings where families were together, from little ones right on up, where we have that experience together and that children get to see adults worship. It's kind of odd to me that many of our kids never get to see uh, how we worship until they get past that age. But out in high voltage, this is what I, I tell uh, Guillermo and Nora and the, the youth ministry, we want them to have out there what we have in here only geared for them. We want them to have a worship time. We want to, a sermon to go. We want to have time for prayer. We want them to have that full experience, but in their context. So I do believe that we've lost those something in, uh, you know, we, we don't have Sunday evening services very few churches have Sunday evening services anymore. It's just part of our, the way our culture has went. We have a, a prayer focus on Sunday night, which is probably one of the best meetings in the week for me because we get to pray for all of our missionaries. We introduce the 1040 window to everybody with a map and the missionaries that we have in that 1040 window. So I, I just think as we as we look at our meetings, we don't have those times as a family where We're together too much in worship. So that's an important factor. Let me take you to Psalm 127, verse 3 and following. You've heard this before. I want you to see the words, though, and the grammatical structure of this statement. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. 
Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Interesting choice of words. Children are a heritage from the Lord given to parents, an offspring that's a reward to the parents. Why? Because they will be a source of help for the parents in the days to come as a barrier of defense. Did you ever think of your children as being a, an addition of, of defense for you? We've always thought that we were in defense for them, that we protected them. But it seems as though the Lord wants children to have an integral part of the spiritual dynamic of families. Sometimes we kind of compartmentalize this to where we look at it this way and this way and this way and that this is our spiritual time, Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday night. And God looks at it totally different, that children are an integral part of the redemptive purpose he has for families, meaning they're strategic not only to receive a heritage from the Lord, but a reward, an actual actual reward. The Lord rewarded you with children. How about that? (laughs) It's a great passage. I want to take you to Numbers 14 because I'm going to give you the background to Numbers 14. Actually, I'm not going to use this passage this morning, but the inspiration to put all these pieces together came from me going through Jeremiah uh, this week. Specifically, Jeremiah 32, and where children, the role of children was so strategic in what was going on in that prophecy. But let me take you back to Numbers. Uh, Israel has been brought out of Egyptian bondage by miraculous signs, wonders, ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, water coming out of a rock, bread coming down from heaven six mornings out of the week, Quail coming in when they got tired of manna. You know, everywhere you turn, God is doing miraculous things in the vision of these people. He has them right at the Jordan River, ready to cross over and to possess the land that he promised to Abraham when Abraham stepped foot on that property. And so they choose from the 12 tribes one man to be part of a covert espionage operation. These 12 men were to sneak into the land, scope it out, and come back with a report that was strategic as to how they were going to approach this invasion. Well, you probably know the results of that report. They came back. This is chapter 13, pretty much. They came back. Um, They had great things to say about the fruit and how beautiful the land was and But then they got to talking about the size of the people and how fortified the walls of the cities were. And so 10 out of the 12 men said, you know, it's just not doable. You know, the the people are too strong. The cities are too fortified. and, And by the time chapter 14 rolls around, they have scared the daylights out of everybody. And not only that, they've created this, we need a new leader. We, we need to choose a new leader to take us back to Israel. And so when God begins to confront this, he really, I, I think when you see how God responds to their rebellion, there's something they say in their report 
that strikes something within the heart of God because he refers to it later on. This is in Numbers 14, verse 3. Listen to what they say. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Now, that doesn't seem too too much out of the ordinary for what they were doing. They were trying to have a mutiny of, of leadership. But that strikes something in the heart of God because God refers to it later. They were actually hiding behind their wives and their children as an excuse for them to not go in because they might get killed, but our wives and children will be slaves. The 40 years was what God punished them, right? And you know how they chose those 40 years? Anybody know? Why 40 years? The spies were in the land 40 days. And so he said, one year for every day. One year for every day, you were in the land supposed to be doing a different job than what you came back. You weren't supposed to give your opinion on whether the land could be conquered. You're just supposed to give information. And so God, when he punishes them, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ban you from going into the land for 40 years, one year for every day you were in the land. But he explains later on why he chose that and what was the qualifier for that. This is Numbers 14, verse 31, if you've you've turned there. You see, I, I don't even know when you read this, he talks about all of those who were counted in the census, 20 above, would not go in the land. So if you were 20, you had you were going to die before you turned 61. Because <laughs> you got 40 years. And if you were one of those that, that this applied to, you were done. Somehow, people weren't going to just die of old age. They're just going to die. Because he says there's only two men that's going to go in the land. That's Caleb and Joshua. But he says something in this is, I don't think the women were counted in the census. So watch this. This is Numbers 14, verse 31. As for your children that you said, this is God telling these men and the whole nation, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. See, children are the heritage of the Lord, and it seems as though God took great exception them saying, but our children are going to be at risk. And it's almost God is saying to them, your children were my protection. I'm their protection. You're not their protection. You counted them as risking for plunder. Not only they're not going to be plundered, they're going to do what you didn't do. Children are a heritage from the Lord. A second occasion I want to take you to, and this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the repeat of the law. This is the last of the five books that Moses wrote. And uh, 
I guess Joshua had to write the last couple of chapters about Moses dying. But Moses pretty much wrote this entire book, and this is toward the end of his life, and this is uh, Deuteronomy means a, a second law or a repeat of the law. So he's, God has taken them through a rehearsal of the commandments, and the commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy. It's a beautiful chapter. Let me start with verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now, it's like 40 years have taken place and they're getting close to the time where they can go in. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. One of the places that the Bible references not just children but grandchildren I mentioned here, the grandchildren of those people who violated the purpose of God and did not get to see the land, their children and their grandchildren, maybe those that would be their great-grandchildren are part of this. What is important? The generations coming behind them, he says, I'm going to give you this so that the children coming up will fear the Lord and fear the Lord as long as they keep his commandments. He's, He's giving these commandments so that they know how to fear the Lord. I'm going to pick it back up in verse 4. Watch this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And I want you to see how God views the children that have been born during that 40-year wait. Impress them on your children. Teach them to your children. In fact, talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, he says, this should be a part of your conversation throughout the week. Constantly tell your children what's going on here. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And in verse 20, the Lord adds this directive. In the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell him, tell the children these things. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He's he's wanting the children to remember things that they didn't witness firsthand, but to remember why they're there and, and how they got there. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible in Egypt, from Pharaoh, his whole household. He brought us out from there to bring us in, to give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as the case is today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that, boy, this is a powerful statement here, that will be our covering. That will be our righteousness. Now, listen, this was handling the first covenant. 
This is the first covenant. We know later that a better covenant was coming. But the first covenant was so important. He says, write them on the doorposts, put them in front of your children, talk about them, explain to them. And when they ask, why are we doing this? I don't know about you, but sometimes, occasionally, your children might say, why do we have to go to church? That's a good question, right? We don't have to, we get to. That's, they don't like that answer, by the way. They, they want an explanation, they want an extended explanation why we have to turn off our iPads and turn off the TV. And, and you know, probably one of the worst things about having Sunday night services for me as a kid is that, it, that we had to leave right before the land of Disney came on television. And the little whatever you call her came out, and you remember that? And, and just when she did that, we had to leave. But we finally got over it once we got to church. But this was the handling of the first covenant. This was like the first covenant was so important that the children remember. It was such an exactness, the commands, how we do things, how we live. And if that was that important for the first covenant, don't you think it's even more important for the greater covenant? The covenant that we have that breaks every chain. There's, there's an army rising up. We're, we're the part of the army of God. We're part of the redeemed of the Lord. We're the, we're the ones that's supposed to be proclaiming the goodness of God because we have a better covenant. What does it mean? Don't you think we need to explain to our children again the importance of the cross? the importance of the resurrection, the importance of following Christ, the, the importance of having our sins forgiven. These are the components of the greater covenant. And I wonder if our children know those things. But it goes even further than that. When you look at Acts 2.39, Peter's preaching this great message. This message is so powerful, 3,000 people from the anointing of God being present there, are converted to Christianity. Receive baptism. The church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. That's a pretty good start to the church. Wayne Atchison, I, I mentioned this to some of the people that in the conversation I had with Wayne Atchison this week, he used to be the sports information director at, at Alabama and and um, great guys now over the Billy Graham Library in North Carolina. But he was telling, he said, I'm researching revival. And, and one of the things he says, you know, while the Azusa Street Revival was going on, and by the way, the Azusa Street Revival, Pastor Joseph Smell, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Los Angeles, had went to the Welch Revival, came back and called his church to prayer meetings, and the people would be crowded outside the doors of the church waiting for them to open the doors of the church to have prayer. No wonder revival hit Los Angeles. But uh, Wayne said the same time the Azusa Street revival was going on, First Baptist Church in Paducah, Kentucky, had a surge of the move of God. They had a 1,000 conversions in two months. You just know that doesn't happen by chance. There's no normal, there's no normal exam, uh, ex, uh, you know, definition for that or explanation for that. That's the move of God. And that's what we're talking about. Acts 2.39, the promises to you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for whom all for whom the Lord our God will call. And verse 38 qualifies it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. Now, what is the promise? The gift of the Holy Spirit is the promise. He said the promise is for you and your children. It's just not for adults. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is for our children. We dedicate children. We don't baptize them. We don't believe in infant baptism. We don't believe that you're saved through baptism. We believe baptism is a result of getting saved. That baptism is a response to being converted. Baptism, you know, my mother got baptized six times before she accepted Jesus. She said she realized she went down a dry center and came up a wet center. But people was trying to save her through baptism. Salvation is the change of a heart. It's not the water. It's the change of the heart. The water shows that your sin, your old life is buried in Jesus. But we dedicate children. We, we present them to the Lord. And many times we pray, Lord, at the earliest possible moment in this little boy's life, this little girl's life, may they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think we're okay with that, right? And I think the greater percentage of people today in the United States that call themselves believers and, and are believers in, in the Lord, came, the greater percentage came to the Lord before they turned 18. Shows the importance of children and youth. Now, thank God there's people at, above 18 that come to know the Lord. But the greater percentage is, is those who are the children, the ones who can understand and know that they need Jesus. Now, my premise today is just as much as our children can come to Christ as an early age, they can also be filled with the Holy Spirit at early age. And somebody may differ with me on that. So, well, how can they understand the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me ask you this. How can they understand salvation? Do they understand vicarious, substitutionary, efficacious, propitiation? They understand all of those, atonement, redemption, vicarious and substitutionary is the same thing as Jesus took our place. But there's, there's how, how can any of us cannot kind of understand salvation before we're saved? Most of us came to the Lord because we knew we had a need for him. Why can't we have the same kind of expression of need for the infill of the Holy Spirit? Children prompted by the Holy Spirit, not, not, not prompted because they understood everything about the atoning work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, but they understood this. There was a need in their life to know him, to want to know him. And the same prompting of the same Holy Spirit can prompt them to be infilled with the Holy Spirit. This is where I want to give you the term generational Pentecost, something that should concern us is we're not passing the promise on down to our children. Now, Peter said the promise is for you and your children, not and for your children once they become adults. Children. The promise is to you and your 
little ones, your children. Every single one of us in this room are candidates for the infilling of the Holy Spirit if we know Jesus. The expression of the Spirit taking full reign of our lives. And some people have defined the baptism of the Holy Spirit differently. They say it's the Spirit-controlled life. Okay. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> That's powerful. The Spirit-controlled life is maybe a better expression where the Spirit finally gets all of us and we're in submission to Him. But we all qualify for that last part of that promise. For all who are far off, we were afar off. We're here in the Western Hemisphere. And when Peter said that, he was a long ways from us. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Let me just finish this up with some personal reflection. You know, I, I was dramatically saved when I was nine years of age. And I say dramatically because it was, I wasn't, I was waiting for them to get through a church. Most of us boys couldn't wait for church to be over so we could go outside and throw rocks at each other, do something. And we'd all get in trouble and usually have one of those come to Jesus meeting afterwards. But as boys, we just couldn't wait to get out and, and, you know, come on, the services went long enough. Especially revival, a week-long revival, two-week-long revival. We go every night, every night. Every night. And at one of those revivals, though I was sitting there waiting for the service to be over, and all of a sudden, this sense of dread came over me. And I could almost take you to the building and the spot in the building where I was sitting, where I had such a sense that I was in trouble. How did, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to. I don't think there's an explanation how a nine-year-old can suddenly have that. And I got up and came to the altar by myself, crying as I knelt there. And the thing I remember most is the first voice I recognized kneeling next to me, praying for me, was my dad. And when I heard his voice, it was like a river rushed out of me, of sobbing, because my dad was praying with me as I accepted the Lord. And this is why youth camp is so important. Because about three years after that, summer of 63, I was at a youth camp, Friday morning service, Oak Mountain State Park. I go way back. (laughs) Brother Nelson White was a decap at the time. And the Friday morning service usually had a missionary come in and preach and and that's where my mother always wanted me to get called to the mission field. I don't know why she, what she had against me to uh, send me somewhere else in the world. But she'd always ask, Charles, did you get called to the mission field? And, no, Mama, I didn't. I, no. No, I didn't hear anything. I said, Mama, I, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything about going somewhere else. And she'd always look at me like, you know, are you, no, I think you need to confess here. But it was one of those altar times we came down, and I can tell you, it was to the right side of the platform, and there was a number of us boys from the, the, the Vincent Church that was there, and we were kneeling, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. I just know that at a point, 
I came too. And it was like they were transforming the, the service into the dining hall for lunch. Because it was the same room they would use. They just kind of like set it up for church and then set it up for meals. And everybody but about six of us were like coming out of this unconscious state. But when I came to, I was speaking in another language. Absolutely overwhelmed by the presence of God. I didn't have any teaching. I didn't know how to walk in that. I didn't know what to do with that. I was just like, wow, that was, that was like, you know, I didn't have a, an explanation for it. I, I couldn't even describe it. I was like, wow, that was probably my best description. But I had to go to Bible college and sit in a First Assembly of God, listen to Carl Strader talk about walking in that promise not having it momentarily, but living in that promise that Peter said, this promise is to you and your children and to your young people. It matters what happens at youth camp. And I was thinking about our experience in Colorado on May the 4th. I think every one of those days is just seared in our mind, isn't it? May 4th is always going to be like, wow. You know, we were there to celebrate our grandson's fourth birthday two days after that. And Brendan and I was with Kelly and Sean had went to work. We'd went, taken the kids to school and all of a sudden Kelly went into this incredible pain yelling bent over, and we said, well, this is something serious that's happening to her. We went to her, laid hands on her, started praying for her, and I started praying in the Spirit. I wasn't, it was so dramatic and so like, this is, this is an emergency, and it was just like things were taking over. And as it turned out, she had to have an emergency surgery for a perforated stomach. Dangerous condition of chemical peritonitis was in her system. And, but it's just been recently, I thought, I wonder if when's the last time before that that my daughter ever heard me pray in the Spirit. And I really felt bad about that. Because I could, my mom and my dad, it was common. She'd be back in her bedroom praying, of course, mostly for my brother. <laughs> he was a subject of most, most of mother's fasting and prayer. Was, she had other five kids, but she was usually praying for Johnny because he needed it the most. But I wonder, where do our children, what kind of context do our children have about this when we may not be passing it on to them? or at least letting them have a, a visit of the Spirit of God, an audience of the Holy Spirit. And I say that in closing because someone very close to me, been Spirit-filled for a long, long time, was praying for one of her grandsons, and she started praying in the Spirit. This is a young man, probably 13, 14, somewhere along in there. 
and ask her afterwards, what language were you talking in when you was praying for me? And she told me, she said, she felt the same way. My own grandchildren that I've been around all this time had no clue as to what she did on a regular basis. It is to your, the promise is to you, right? The promise is to you, and the promise is to your children. And I think we have a greater risk for children raised in this environment end up living in a non-Pentecostal environment because they're not acquainted with what happens in the, <clears throat> the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All I'm asking you to do as parents is bring your children in like the Lord told them in Deuteronomy 6 to involve the children in why we do this and what does this mean and what is, what, what is this all about so that they will know the living God and have a context as to when something happens to them, they know what's going on. I can tell you that when Brenda and her sister got baptized, they were, they were just uh, blindsided. They were two really good Baptist girls, teenage girls, that were invited to revival. And at the altar time, and their dad's a very good missionary Baptist guy, didn't believe in that, but he walked in the door just in time to see both of his daughters speaking in tongues, and they didn't know a thing about it. It was the introduction to a whole new dynamic for him, and it was like a confirmation. I would have never believed it was true until I saw my own daughters. I think that was pretty much what he thought. He was out selling cookware or something, wasn't he? I was wondering, what, what could they be doing at church so late? <laughs> well, they were having revival. And I think we need a little touch of revival, don't you? Would you stand with me? Before, before Shane starts this, I want, I want to tell you something. On Sunday nights, we listen to some of this music. This song wrecks me every time I hear it because I, I consider the question, where would I be except for the grace of God? It just overwhelms me to know what I have, I have by the grace where of God. I be? And if you want revival in your own heart, you and you want to say, Lord, whatever it means for me to have personal revival, you, you have my attention this morning. And you kneel where you're at and come to these altars and simply say, God, I need a refreshing. I need renewal. And this is our altar time. This is our prayer time. Thank you, Lord. Where would I be?